Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. We know Idaho has a problem with suicide rates and mental health, but what are the factors and are there any easy solutions? I'm Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, producer Ruth Brown explores the complexities around the legislature's discussions on suicide prevention. Then Representative Lori Likely and Senator David Nelson join me to talk about the Idaho Behavioral Health Council and whether the legislature is prepared to tackle the wide-ranging problems affecting mental health. But first, a vaccine update. On Wednesday, Governor Brad Little announced that the state is speeding up the timeline of vaccine eligibility. I am glad to announce today the starting Monday, April 5th, all Idahoans, regardless of their age, medical condition or occupation, will be able to make an appointment to receive the COVID-19 vaccine. Also, starting Monday, March 29th, any Idahoan with at least one medical condition will be able to access the COVID-19 vaccine. The announcement came as some providers and health districts across Idaho reported a number of unfilled appointments, with Public Health District 2, based in Lewiston, already opening up eligibility to anyone 16 and older. During a press call on Wednesday, Idaho Department of Health and Welfare officials said a combination of an increase in supply and a decrease in demand in some areas prompted the decision to speed up rollout. Idahoans can pre-register for a vaccine appointment at covidvaccine.idaho.gov or they can contact providers directly. Also this week, Governor Little testified in front of the U.S. House Subcommittee on National Parks, Forests and Public Lands. Congressman Russ Fulcher is a ranking member of that subcommittee, which met Tuesday to hear testimony on the Biden administration's efforts to conserve public lands. Both Little and Fulcher said conservation is important, but expressed concern that some of the proposals, which include protecting 30 percent of U.S. land and waterways by 2030, are too restrictive and could hurt communities. Proponents say the plan is critical to combat climate change and mass extinction. Idaho's forest products industry is one of the many rich examples that illustrate the dual benefits of managing our lands to improve both the environment and our economy. Wise active land management helps improve the health and resiliency of Idaho's national forests. Idaho's timber industry sustains over 31,000 jobs and provided 52 million in revenue for Idaho schools last year alone. Idaho is also a leader in using good neighbor authority to help manage our forests. Since 2016, planned and completed timber sales have treated over 17,000 acres of forest land, generated millions of dollars in economic activity, improved habitat for wildlife, and reduced the threat of wildfire. Idaho is a massive western state with about two-thirds of our land owned or managed by the federal government. With a relatively small population of 1.8 million, Idaho still, in many areas, feels like the Wild West. Only two other states have more designated wilderness areas where the most stringent environmental protections prevent any human activity other than by foot or by horse. The enormous amounts of designated wilderness in Idaho underscores the importance 
of keeping our remaining federal lands as working lands. Idaho reports will continue to follow the Biden administration's conservation proposals and how they could affect Idaho communities. Before the legislature recessed last week because of a COVID-19 outbreak in the House, mental health was a hot-button topic this session. Several lawmakers have pointed to the pandemic-related public health orders and school closures as the main reason suicide deaths increased in the state in 2020. But mental health professionals know Idaho has had a problem with suicide for years. Idaho Reports producer Ruth Brown took a look at the complexities affecting suicide rates and the legislature's discussion surrounding the issue. Some lawmakers have expressed more concern about their constituents' mental health during this legislative session than they have in prior sessions. We are seeing students trying to commit suicide, and unfortunately, some of those actually succeed. Our children, some are contemplating suicide. And so what do we have? We have a, a growing suicide rate. According to Health and Welfare, in 2020, 420 Idahoans died by suicide, while in 2019, that number was 362. But in 2018, Idaho saw 409 deaths by suicide, nearly as many as in 2020. While the suicide rate in Idaho is jarring, the problem isn't new. In 2018, Idaho had the fifth highest rate of suicide in the country. Statewide, it was the seventh leading cause of death. It's, it's interesting to me when you, when you start talking about suicide, most people know someone, either first degree, second degree, or third degree, someone that has suffered a loss or um, has, has, that has lost somebody's suicide. And many, many want to talk about it. Prior to the pandemic, not all lawmakers were as vocally concerned about mental illness, nor were they concerned about funding treatment options. In a February of 2020 House Education Committee meeting, some members did not support the idea of providing schools with funding for training teachers to help students with social-emotional issues. We're talking about more time spent um, in an area with kids and teachers that really is a role that should be dealt with in the home. And it seems like everything is flipping. So now we're going to deal with these things that should be dealt with in the home. And then the home is going to try to teach math. It seems like we keep coming up with programs that cost money and we're throwing darts at the dartboard, trying to find things that are going to stick. Representative Ehart said she has always supported suicide prevention and mental health treatment options. But last year, she had concerns about how the social emotional training would be used. And we have to understand that social-emotional deals with behaviors and attitudes. And when we deal with behaviors and attitudes, we are talking about an area that our teachers literally aren't trained to delve into. This is where professional help is needed. I'm actually advocating that we need to quit pouring on more and more and more to our teachers' plates and asking them to deal with things in which they're absolutely not equipped to deal. And that if we're going to deal in that realm, we need professionals who are professionally trained. In prior years, lawmakers have provided funding for needed crisis centers in some areas of the state, which experts say has been helpful. In North Idaho, we're extremely fortunate we have a crisis center that's 24-7, um, and this is a resource that came to us a few years ago, and it's been just 
invaluable in the sense that anyone can go there that's in any type of crisis and get some help. But none of those crisis centers are able to treat patients under age 18. Last month, February 2021, the hotline received nearly 1,400 calls, and that is up 30% from February of 2020. Call volume has increased over the years since we started in 2012. One parting thought I want to say is that often when I speak to any group of people, sometimes people ask, or if they don't ask, I think they might think that people who call the hotline, people that call other crisis services aren't like us, but they are like us. They are us. Idaho lawmakers have one resolution making its way through the state house this year in an effort to support suicide prevention. The resolution passed the House unanimously and would acknowledge that 988 be the new three-digit number for suicide prevention and mental health crisis. The legislation comes after Congress approved the decision through the National Suicide Hotline Designation Act of 2020. In July of 2022, 988 will go live and replace the current National Suicide Prevention phone number. And I, I think that that's what it takes. It takes everybody's interest. And I see it here in North Idaho. Uh, and it's throughout Idaho. People do care about suicide loss and they want to prevent suicide loss. They just need to become comfortable with asking the question and understanding where they can refer that person. Discussions about mental illness and asking a person if they're thinking about hurting themselves isn't easy, but it is necessary. Reach out. It's okay to ask. It's okay to help. For more information on suicide prevention, visit the Idaho Suicide Prevention Hotline at idahosuicideprevention.org or call or text 208-398-4357. Ruth has more with Representative Barbara Ehart on her concerns about student mental health on the Idaho Reports podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. The legislature isn't the only branch of government tasked with addressing mental health care. Last year, Governor Little announced the formation of the Idaho Behavioral Health Council. The council brings together the three branches of government, executive, legislative, and judicial, to work toward finding the most efficient ways to help Idahoans in need of mental health care or those struggling with substance abuse. And the issues affecting behavioral health are wide-ranging, including homelessness, addiction, mental health commitments, and incarceration. Representative Lori Likely and Senator David Nelson both serve on the Idaho Behavioral Health Council, which met Friday morning to discuss more recommendations the council might make to the governor. Likely and Nelson joined me Thursday to discuss potential policy and budget changes needed to help Idahoans and whether the legislature is up to the task. Thank you both so much for joining me today. To start out with, uh, Senator Nelson, what's the purpose of the Behavioral Health Council? Well, I think the state has recognized after many years that we need a more coherent response to mental health and substance abuse issues. And so the judiciary, the executive branch, and the legislature have got together and put together this council to really spend a year with the experts developing a strategic plan to how we go forward with mental health and substance abuse issues. And what prompted the formation of this committee, Representative Likely? 
Well, I think it's been probably about a decade of watching Idaho suicide numbers grow and the conversations around mental health. And uh, it was it was noticed, um, you know, a good number of years ago, and it took until last year um, in the 2020 legislative session, the Senate concurrent resolution, to kind of recognize that we needed to do something. And that kind of set forward the executive um, order that uh, the good governor put in place and, and where we are today. Uh, suicide numbers in Idaho have grown pretty significantly over the last decade. In fact, um, in 2019, Idaho was number five in the nation for the number of suicides. Uh, we did drop down to number 11 last year, but that still does not um, delineate or deny the fact that we have a serious mental health and a substance abuse problem in the state of Idaho. And I think that um, recognizing uh, that it was up to all of us to step up and, and you know, develop a, a strategic plan moving forward. So it's been, you know, it's been a decade in the making and I I'm happy to see it coming to fruition about now. Before we get into some of the specifics about what you're discussing and, and what some of the rec recommendations might be, what's the timeline? When can we start expecting some actual you know, reports or policy recommendations from the council? You can actually go to the um, Department of Health and Welfare's Idaho Behavioral Health Council website right now and look at all of the meeting minutes, look at the working group reports, looking at the advisory committee. All of those reports are available online for the public view right now. And uh, from an overall strategic position, the Idaho Behavioral Health Council will have a recommendation to Governor Little by the end of June. We're starting to uh, put all of the pieces, we're kind of, you know, defining a plan and then we're you know assessing the system what is out there putting all the pieces of the behavioral mental health and substance abuse issues on the table um, we're going to find out where we're where we're short are we short in uh, providers are we short in um, critical access for our youth and then we will you know recommend those actions uh, moving forward at the uh, again at the end of June and, and right now is an important time in our process because we're just about to enter a public comment period. Mm -hmm. We've got the major pieces together. We're trying to, uh, from the uh, advisory boards, we're trying to refine them and decide really what we should recommend. And so start starting, uh, I believe it's April 1st, the public, public comment period is there. And we'd really like to hear that comment now, and we have another three or four meetings of the council itself to settle on what we will do. Additionally, uh, next uh, Tuesday night from 5 to 7 p.m., you can tune in to the public comments that uh, we requested those. Those are in the uh, pipeline right now, and we will have a live Zoom presentation next Thursday or next Tuesday night from 5 to 7. So if you head on over to the Behavioral Health Council's website, you can kind of take a look and, and hear um, some of the additional public comments. We did take public comment last fall from the from consumers consumers, from providers, from other mental health um, and substance abuse um, uh, providers and caretakers in the system, families. And, you know, I've had the opportunity over the last uh, couple of days since we've been on recess to wade through some of those comments. And, and it's really fascinating to find um, what is common between each subgroup and then what is, what is different and what will be needed to make certain that we're addressing needs of each of those groups. 
And, and we'll be sure to, to, oh, sorry, Senator, we'll be sure to post the link okay. to that Zoom call, that 5 p.m. Mountain Time, 4 p.m. Pacific call on the Idaho Reports social media. It, as we get into specific problems, um, I, I know that Idaho is such a diverse state. I've reported on healthcare issues regionally and statewide. I, I'm wondering, how do these issues that you're hearing about from stakeholders vary region to region, Senator? Um, you know, I think we have many of the same problems, but how we can attack them are differently. Uh, for example, in my area that's pretty rural up in Latai, Benoit County, Central Idaho, uh, we've established recovery centers or crisis centers, excuse me, that are very small and uh, nimble. They're not always staffed, but they have somebody there. We're in a bigger area like the Treasure Valley or Kootenai County have full-time, full-staffed uh, crisis centers. And those crisis centers have been an important step in helping with our mental health needs in, in order to reduce, uh, you know, keep people out of entering the mental health system via the criminal justice system, which has been a big problem in our state. So that's just one example. I think another might be uh, staffing issues. We have a real problem in, in rural Idaho in finding professionals to come into our areas and provide treatment, especially with our, our, our reimbursement rates, which tend to be quite slow or quite low. Uh, whereas that's not quite the issue in uh, in Boise, but here it's a big issue. I mean, we've had a crisis center essentially funded and ready to open in Idaho County for the last year and a half, I think, and we can't find the staffing to be able to, to, to bring that up. I might add that, you know, it, it does vary. It, it varies from the urban to the rural, rural areas very greatly. And I think uh, Senator Nelson touched on the fact that, you know, providers is, is a huge component thereof. We do. We've got crisis centers in seven different locations across the state of Idaho. Those are traditionally only, only dealing with adult adult crisis needs. And again, they're very short term. We're not looking at a longer term recovery plan. And I think that with the strategic plan from the Behavioral Health Council, we'll maybe address, you know, using peer reviewed and peer counseling and recovery and consistency and a mentoring need down the road. But on the front end, we really have got to kind of look at uh, crisis centers for our young students, our, uh, you know, our middle school and high school students. We don't have an option for them if they're suffering um, from a mental health illness at this point. Their first um, choice, parents' first choice, is often the emergency room. And we really have got to develop a system, you know, from, from zero to when they're, when they're adults. And I think that this uh, strategic plan will start to address some of those needs. Consistently, we hear, you know, transportation to care is, is huge. Housing is needed. You know, what what other emergency options do we have? Mentors for long-term support. So again, I do think our rural communities, often it's talking about mental health is, is got a stigma attached to it. And even those folks in my rural and my ag communities have a difficult time talking about it. And I think we've got to be able to, to talk about bullying. I think we have to be able to talk about intimidation. And I think we have got to be able to talk about, you know, being able to recognize that, that mental illness is just that. It is an illness. And there's a, a 
good cross-section of folks out there that are willing to tackle this head-on and come forward with solutions that work for you and your communities. Well, I just wanted to say reducing that stigma is so important. And so uh, I think a, a big piece of our plan will be on promotion and education. So people recognize, can reduce that stigma. People will know that it's they need to go get help and they they know how to enter the system. Right now, it's fairly opaque on how you would go get mental health, health issues. And really, our goal is to ha have a system that people can get the help they need when they need it and not not end up in jail and then and then go into it or in the emergency room and trying to decide. Uh, let's just make a, a more a system that's more useful for everyone when they need it. You know, you, you both bring up so many complex topics that are all interconnected and uh, covering the legislature for 10 sessions now, I've I've seen lawmakers try to tackle complex issues multiple times, whether it's reading scores in third grade or transportation funding. And it often takes a long time. Does the legislature have the ability right now to address such a complex issue, Representative Likely? Yes, and I think that um, I challenge all of my colleagues um, to, to step up and, and recognize our commitment to uh, mental health and behavioral health and substance abuse in the state of Idaho. You know, there's the question of, of, of tackling this from a policy perspective, but then there's the question of making necessary investments in healthcare, in mentorship programs, in education. Senator, do you feel like the legislature has the appetite to make those investments? Uh, I, I hope so. Uh, I think maybe I'm a little skeptical rep than representative likely, but I hope we are. Uh, you know, some of them, we, we, we are finding some low hanging fruit in different places. For example, Medicaid expansion is letting us uh, pay for medical services in our in-state hospitals using Medicaid dollars. So that stretches our money a bit. I think there's a fair bit of recognition that the, if the entry point to mental health is the criminal justice system, that's about the most expensive entry point we can make. So finding efficiencies when we redesign the system so it's not that has, has benefit. I do worry on things like our recovery centers, which we have around the, the, the state that we've had for uh, a few years, that we continue to, to, to provide them one-time money e each year and ask them to fundraise for roughly half, half of their, their stuff. You know, we can't just treat people and then expect them to be better with especially substance abuse issues. That's a long-term thing. They need to be in recovery. And I think we need to be sure we recognize those costs are paid for in a sustainable model. I think this year-to-year -year approach uh, is something I would worry about in the long term. We're, we're talking about money on one hand, but then there are also policy questions. And are there any examples of, I don't want to say low-hanging fruit, but easier tweaks than others that Idaho has been making or could be making now to meet this goal of reducing this, this crisis care and addressing it on the front end? 
people like to use, you know, what has happened over the last year with coronaviruses as a, a, a case for, you know, higher suicide numbers. Well, I'm going to challenge those that we had this crisis prior to coronavirus. And so the fact that, you know, as the lawmaking body, we have to work with our partners across across multiple aisles to develop policy that works. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. And, and I think that sometimes we forget that we have to to be able to look a little more deeply with, you know, whether it be the public health districts, the Department of Health and Welfare, Child Protective Services, um, the Idaho, you know, our Idaho uh, teaching, our educational systems, and and find policies that that really support crisis management and and acceptance thereof. And you know, I don't like people who just decide they want to use the fact that, you know, coronavirus they you know they they speculate that suicide numbers have gone up dramatically. Well, that's simply not the case. Have we had more calls to our crisis hotlines? Yes, but our suicide numbers are roughly on par with where they were in 2018, which was a record high year for the state of Idaho. So this is a long-term problem when we've got long-term solutions and I really think that we need to buckle down and um, as a state and as communities and families and come forward with policies that work. I'm happy to do the heavy lifting. I'm happy to carry those policies that have long-term implications to the to the health you know of our workforce and our families and and our communities and and it's not going to be easy um, but again I think as Senator Nelson mentioned if we can look at what we're spending on corrections and we can invest on the front end with early childhood development programs, supporting our parents, supporting our families and supporting our school systems and communication between each of us, we're gonna be a lot better off in the long run. And I'm, I'm fully committed to making sure that, that the policies that come forward, you know, move us forward and, and not backward. I don't know that there are other easy things. We need to go out and do the heavy lifting as, as uh, Representative Likely says. One last question, and I'll start with you, Senator. This, as as you just said, is a ship that is going to take a while to turn. So when we look back in 15 years, what are the metrics of success going to be? How do we know that what you're doing now has worked? Well, I, th I think emergency admits to the mental health system would be one. Um, I think Opioid deaths, have, have we reduced that? Uh, numbers of people in recovery, in recovery centers or AA or, or however we might be doing that at that time. Um, I think a healthier economy. I, I look at places in my district like St. Mary's and Plummer, which have a fairly significant drug problems. And if their crime rates are measurably go down and their unemployment rates go down with them because there are jobs in those communities, I think that would be a great measure of success. And Representative, I wanted to get your thoughts too. Well, I think that uh, Senator Nelson hit on a lot of those. I think that, you know, if, if our, if, in addition to what he commented on, I think that, you know, do they have adequate housing? Do they have transportation for their needs? Are we communicating? I think these are all measurables. Are they communicating between crisis points? Is the middle school counselor communicating with that child's counselor outside? Are we keeping that child out of the, um, the corrections system? And so the fact that the Behavioral Health Council is addressing each 
um, branch of government. We're communicating. We're going to have a plan between. I think the communication within, those are going to be measurables, Melissa, not only short term, but we're going to be able to measure those um, long term. And then I think we're going to find out what's working and then be able to tweak those along the way. That's why these long term plans are so important. And this is something, again, that we've got to get our hands around now. And I think we're on the, on the right path. All right, Senator Nelson, Representative Likely, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thanks thank for the you. opportunity. For more with Representative Likely and Senator Nelson, visit the Idaho Reports YouTube channel. You'll find the link at idahoptv.org slash Idaho Reports. Before we go, one more important piece of news. The Idaho Tax Commission has pushed back the filing and payment deadline for state income taxes to match the federal deadline. The new deadline is May 17th. You can find more information at tax.idaho.gov. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next week. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.